the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a term that we have in the Bible. It says to walk in the Spirit. Paul tells us this several times. So just exactly what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we walk in the Spirit? Let's find out together today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we dive back into Galatians chapter 5. Hi there. Welcome to the program. We're looking at verses 25 through chapter 6 and verse 10 here today as we talk about walking in the Spirit. Just exactly what does this mean? The work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life makes him strong, resilient. So do you see yourself? Do you want to see yourself this way? Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner as we explore walking in the Spirit today on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. One another is your business. You say, I'm going to stay out of it. Well, those, my friends, are not the words of a person walking with the Spirit of God. Someone walking in the power of the Holy Spirit of God has compassion for those dislocated brothers and sisters and wants and tries his best to restore them to their proper place and to put right, put them on the right path, however painful it may be to you. But you know, and this isn't in the text, but it is in another text and it is a related subject. Do you know that someone who is walking in the Holy Spirit is not only a restorer of individuals, But he is a restorer of cities and cultures. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. It is not that he is just compassionate and it pains him when he sees an individual heading in a direction that he shouldn't go. And he seeks to restore him. But whenever he sees a culture or a society going in a direction that it should not go, it also pains him. And he seeks what he can do to restore that wayward culture and society. Isaiah 58, I'll begin in verse 10. And I'll read over to verse 14, yes. Isaiah 58, 10 through 14. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and all the Sabbath is a delight, 
and the holy day of the Lord honorable. And honor it desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, in verses 10 and 11, the work of the Holy Spirit of God in a person's life, leading him, and it refreshes him as water in a dry, thirsty land, not simply for his own personal refreshment, but so he will be strong and sturdy to rebuild the ancient ruins of a once great civilization. Are you doing anything at all to rebuild the ruins of a once great nation right here in America? Do you see yourself? Do you want to see yourself as a repairer of the breach? A restorer of the streets that were once filled with men and women and young people who fought and lived and worked for the glory of God. Streets that are now filled with men and women and young people who hate that God with all their hearts. Do you care? Or are you just hoping to die and go to heaven and let this land at once had the highest Christian civilization since apostolic times to continue on its slippery slope downwards. If someone is walking in the Spirit, it pains him to see individuals or a once great Christian culture ruined by rebellion. And he does everything in his power to work toward their restoration. But you've got to be qualified. There are three qualifications for a restorer of ancient streets and of individuals, and they are found there in verse 1 of Galatians 6. Brethren, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. There you see three qualifications of an effective restorer of those who have been overtaken by sin And you see on a slippery slope. The first qualification is you have to be spiritual. It says you who are spiritual restore such a one. If you're not spiritual, don't even try. Because you'll most likely make things worse. Only those of you who are spiritual should try to restore individuals who have fallen into sin or culture that have rebelled against God. Now, the question becomes, what does it mean to be spiritual? Is he here confirming the modern concept of carnal Christian heresy that you find in so many churches today that you can divide Christians between two groups, the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian? And the carnal Christians are those who have asked Jesus into their hearts, but yourself still sits on the throne of your heart. And it does not bow down before Christ as Lord. Oh, they have Jesus to save them, but they haven't surrendered to his lordship. And they are called carnal Christians. They really don't like to read the Bible. They usually don't go to church. They don't witness. They don't live for Christ, but they have said a little prayer and asked Jesus into their hearts, although self still rules them. Then a spiritual Christian is someone who has not only asked Jesus into his heart, 
He is someone whose self no longer rules, but where Christ rules in his life, and that is what Christ would like us all to be. But you really don't have to be spiritual Christian to get in. Beloved, that is a damnable heresy. And it is believed by millions of confessed Christians in America today. And it is, a, it is false from the very start. There is no such dichotomy in Scripture. Nowhere in the Bible does God distinguish between carnal Christians who have merely asked Jesus into their hearts but have not surrendered to Jesus as their Lord and spiritual Christians who have. Nowhere in the Bible does it even define a Christian as someone who has asked Jesus into his heart. That is not how you become a Christian. Asking Jesus into your heart never made anyone a Christian. You show me one place where that is even referred to in Scripture. You can't. Throughout all Scripture, it says, if someone looks like an unbeliever, smells like an unbeliever, acts like an unbeliever, lives like an unbeliever, he is an unbeliever. He's a carnal Christian. The only Christ there is, is our Lord and Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So if when you receive Christ as your Savior, and you do not bow down before him as your Lord, he is still not your Savior. As pa Pastor Al Martin said, you cannot benefit from Christ's cross without bowing before the claims of Christ's crown. So then what is Paul getting at here when he says, you've got to be spiritual before you can be effective in restoring who have fallen into sin? Well, he's not bringing into the picture this dichotomy because there is no such dichotomy in Scripture. All Christians, listen to me, all Christians are spiritual. Well, what does that word spiritual mean? The word spiritual means spirit produced. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 2 defines itself as a book of spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But look back in chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 29. It says, But as that time, but as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So a Christian is someone who is born according to the Spirit, and having been born according to the Spirit, he now lives in the Spirit. And living in the Spirit, he is to walk by the Spirit as the Spirit leads him. His whole life is in the Spirit. The Spirit is in him, and that defines the Christian life. The Christian is someone who has been born of the Spirit, or Spirit-produced. He was once spiritually dead. Now he is spiritually alive because of the new birth the Holy Spirit has given him. At that point, the Holy Spirit comes into his life, stays in his life, leads him, gives him the power to live for Christ, and he lives in the Spirit's power and walks by the Spirit's rule. It is not an external mechanical type of religion. So when Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, 
You who are spirit produced. He is not talking to the super spiritual. He's not talking to the Christian elite. He is talking to you. You are spiritual. You are produced by the Holy Spirit as a Christian. You are a new person because of the Spirit of Christ. There may be other Christians who are stronger than you are in their faith. There may be other Christians that are more knowledgeable than you are. But you are spiritual because you have been spirit produced. Your faith has been produced by the Holy Spirit. Your heart has been produced by the Holy Spirit. Your new attitude, your new insight, your repentance, your obedience, everything in you has been produced by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's not by anything that you have done. Each one of us then has been called to be restorers. Everyone who is spiritual is to seek to restore those who have been overtaken by sin. And no one has any excuse not to. No one can say it excludes me. No one can say it is for those who have the ability to speak well. It's, it's just for the leaders of the church. No, everyone who is spiritual, everyone who has experienced a new birth and has the Holy Spirit in his life is responsible before God not to ever say, I am not going to get involved in anyone else's life. I'm not going to take, I'm going to take care of me and mine. And as for everyone else, that is their own business. Beloved, you can never do that and expect God to bless you. One another is your business. So that's the first qualification you've got to have to be a restorer. You've got to have the Holy Spirit within you. You have to be someone who walks by the Spirit's rule, who's seeking to bring his life into conformity to the Spirit's rule. That person has available to him the Spirit's power. And that person and that person alone can be effective in restoring individuals or cultures. You don't have to be some great kind of preacher or teacher. You don't have to be some great politician. All you need is the Holy Spirit of God. Let me ask you, do you ever feel powerless? Do you ever look at what is going on around you and say, this culture, this civilization is so fallen, it's gone down so far, and who am I? Where does one start? I mean, I'm just one person. I feel so powerless to do anything. Beloved, I would be ashamed to say such a thing. I hope I would ask God to forgive me for such a terrible unbelief. If there is anyone who has the power, it is a spiritual person. The rebel out there has only an illusion of power. And you and I have been brought into it so we are their puppets and we do what they tell us to do and we respond to their intimidations because we feel so powerless when we have the power of the Spirit of God to overturn all the pathetic powers of the enemy, and you feel powerless to do anything? Those are the words of unbelief. An unbeliever is the powerless one. And if you are powerless, then you are not. You are, you are an unbeliever, regardless of what you profess 
or how you try to live. Acts 1.8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you if you are a real believer. And what is even better, he is in you. And you have the power to change things and to restore things. But there's a second qualification here. It says that the person not only must be spiritual, but restore one in a spirit of gentleness. Now remember who we are talking about here. You're not talking about an enemy. You're not talking about some abortionist. You're not talking about a blatant, impenitent, sexual pervert. You're not talking about a hardened, blasphemous rebel who takes great delight in attacking the church of Christ. You're not talking about the enemy. You're talking about a brother or sister that because of an unguarded moment has fallen into a stupid sin. That brother you don't treat like an enemy or like a hardened pervert or like a bloodthirsty abortionist. You treat him like a weak brother. So in your efforts to restore him and get him back on the way, you treat him lovingly, gently, kindly, pointing out to him patiently where he has gone astray and what he must do to get back on track. It means that we're not going to react self-righteously and say with reference to a brother, I knew this would happen. I'm not surprised by this. I knew he couldn't hold out. I could have told him that he was going this way. Martin Luther, not always known for his gentleness, and said this concerning a person overtaken with a fault. He said, run to him. Reach out your hand. Raise him up. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with a mother's arms. A spirit of gentleness. This verse presupposes that we must be discriminating in how we approach people for their sins because after all, the Bible does make a distinction between someone who just commits presumptive, high-handed, blatant, arrogant, deliberate sins and those who commit sins in ignorance or in an unguarded moments. The Bible does make a distinction in these kind of people. Therefore, we must make distinctions in the way we respond to them and seek to help them. Sin is always sin. Both the presumptive, arrogant, high-minded sinner commits sin and the poor, weak Christian that has allowed himself to stumble into it. And they both must confess what they have done as sinful. But the methods by which we restore these two different kinds of people are not going to be the same. When we try to help the poor, weak brother that is in trouble because of a weak moment, we must take into consideration his weakness before the power of temptation, his naivete, his ignorance, and try to help him to clear up those things and to deal with them and try to overcome those weaknesses. But we treat him with a spirit of gentleness, not as an enemy, but as a brother. Then the third qualification to be a restorer of individuals and of cultures. Verse 1 again, Brother, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are a spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. One of the hardest things for me to do is to preach on individual sins, exposing them, defining them, condemning them, Because you can bet 
within the next three or four days or a week after, I will be tempted with it. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't preach or teach on it, but you need to watch yourself lest you be tempted. Now, what does this mean? It means if you are dealing with someone who is involved in a sin, do not think that you are above being tempted by the sin that has overcome your brother. Don't think you are more mature, that you've gone so far down the road and you have been faithful in avoiding certain sins and you've been diligent, to your, you've been intense in your service to Christ. Well, don't think that anything that you have done or are doing puts you above being tempted by those sins that have overtaken your brothers. Listen to 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you think you stand? Do you think you're accepted by God? Do you believe there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing in heaven or hell? Nothing in life or death, time or eternity can separate you? Do you think you stand securely and firmly in your acceptance with God and your faithfulness and your Christian life? Well, then Paul is talking to you and he is talking to me. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. He who thinks he is the most secure in Christ, take heed, lest he fall. When you allow the revealed truth of your security in Christ to relax your guard, and you say, well, God has saved me, and I can never be unsaved, and you relax instead of keeping up your guard, you will Fall, my friends. But don't forget, in, don't forget uh, verse, um, after verse 12 of 1 Corinthians is followed by verse 13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So if you are one of those people who has been overtaken by a sin, carelessness, a, a quick, unbiblical decision, naivete, an unguarded moment, and you cave in, you do something you regret, anyone who thinks he stands, remember that you never have to cave in to temptation as a Christian. If you have been guarded, if you had been less naive, if you had been thinking more clearly what you should have been, if you would have had your impulses under control more than you did, you would have not sinned. You and I must never say as Christians, when any temptation comes before us, I... I just couldn't help it. I mean, the situation was such a... I, I, I just couldn't help it. Either that is a lie from you, or God is a liar. Because God said that you can say from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, is he lying or not? Of course he's not. Perish the thought. 
So what does it mean that every time you say, I couldn't help it? I just had to give in. The situation was was such that I just had to give in. You are a liar. You are using as an excuse to do what you choose of your own free will to do. Whenever you and I are tempted to sin, we do not have to cave in. Because as we are walking in the Spirit, there is always that power available to us to say no. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.